0: You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Sobe here, continuing our series of conversations with alumni across the country, not just in LA. Gregory Zandana is here from 2011 NLC DC. so we're excited to hear his perspective. He has some LA ties too, so let's get to it. All right, Gregory, tell me about your LA ties. How much do you know or have connection to the city of Los Angeles?
1: Yeah, so I actually moved to Los Angeles in 2004 to attend UCLA. Um, so I, I, went to, I went to undergrad there. And then um, organized with a local labor union, AFSCME uh, 3299, that represented all of the um, uh, university workers in the dining halls, the residence halls, and in the hospitals.
0: And so when you were deciding colleges, what were the main factors you were de- using to determine where you wanted to go?
1: So I, I was looking at a couple of things. One I was looking at um uh w- where would be close enough to home but still far enough. I, I spent my time growing up in Sacramento, California after being born in Guam. And so I was if, if I would if I was thinking if I went to S- Southern California, <laughs> I would still be close enough to home but still far enough to be able to have a a, a, a an experience away from home.
0: Sure. And what was your favorite part of being a Bruin.
1: So I, I, I appreciated the opportunities that were afforded, the kind of diversity of the folks I was able to get to work with. Um, I, 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 some of my organizing training and seeds were planted while I was a student there working on a variety of campaigns related to both the California and Federal Dream Act to things like uh, divestment of, of, of resources to Sudan. Things of that nature, um, and also, of course, the access and affordability to higher education overall.
0: And then, after college, did you go straight to DC? Or did you go somewhere else?
1: So I went. I went. Um, I stayed in LA to organize a little bit before moving to DC. Um, what brought me to DC was I was elected an officer of the United States Student Association, and that's where their um, where their headquarters. Um, that's where they're headquartered. Um, after serving um, as vice president and president, I then became executive director of the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance.
0: Got it. So then once you get to D.C., how long before you get connected with an NLC?
1: Yeah, so I moved to D.C. in um, uh, 2008 um, and then um, uh, got connected with the initial class um, in 2011. Um, I-, I was recommended or connected to NLC um by a good friend named Caitlin. Thank you Caitlin if you're if you're listening to this. Um and every, and, and, and definitely appreciated my time as a fellow.
0: So then how is your work evolved over time yeah getting to dc when you did in 08 and then obviously still being there now there's tons of change we'll talk about that in a little bit but in terms of your your work over time what kind of changes have you seen
1: so you know i, I will give nlc a credit for for one thing um in particular um there's a v- variety of things that i think i would give nlc credit for um but i think one thing in particular was really and inv- uh, really pushing me to do more with dance um i remembered actually um after one of the sessions as a fellow, uh, dance was one of the themes for me. And, and I actually started a dance team called Soul Social Justice um, because <laughs> of uh, a time with NLC. And um, unfortunately, the, the team isn't still around now, but it's allowed me to build a dancer in my house. I've been taking more class classes, going to the studio more, and I've really built dance, um, more about dance, around dance in my life. And so I, I definitely appreciate that.
0: Nice. And then in in terms of your work organizing and and with labor in general, how optimistic are you these days about the state of unions, where they're going in the future? Were you encouraged at all by what happened in West Virginia? Are you discouraged by the Supreme Court case that's pending? Like, what is your sense of feeling presently and where do you see things going from here?
1: Yeah, you see, I, have a, I have, there's a lot of thoughts of, um, and I appreciate you asking this. I think the labor movement and particularly uh, labor unions are at a particular crossroads right now, um, both in terms, because of the, the Supreme Court case you men- mentioned, Janice versus AFS-SME, Um but I think also in terms of wh- the, where is it where it's going to go and kind of the decisions um, that they're making now will have longer term impacts. And so everything from are they engaging young workers and people of color in the way that they should be, both at the grassroots, rank and file level, but also in places where maybe unions don't have the most organized people? Um, so I think that I think that while there are challenges ahead, that I think it's forcing union leadership and union leaders to have some really difficult um, conversations that I think are a long time coming for now, for, from now, a long time been a long time coming, and so. I think they're necessary conversations. They're not the easiest, Um, but I'm hopeful that um, they see the importance of engaging young people, engaging people of color, engaging women um, in unions and and, and investing more resources in their leadership development and investing more resources in organizing them both within the union and outside of the union.
0: And when you talk to somebody who's under, let's say 25, what misconceptions do you hear the most about unions from folks who are younger that you have to try to dispel or educate what actually comes up the most yeah
1: so i think people just um i think a lot of the thing i share with people a lot of the time i share with people just the things unions have been able to do or even the the benefits that they have now and and where some of that comes from so even the basic when i talk about the weekend or the 40-hour work week or a minimum a minimum wage although that needs to be increased um, things of that nature I tell people you know the union and the labor mo- the unions and labor movement brought this to you I, um, I think more more specifically, I tell people, you know unions are membership organizations, and so it relies on folks who are members and who pay dues to be just as active and just as engaged in the the union as well, and I think that um, uh, it's important to to, 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 mention that to folks. Cause I think sometimes people think that it's people at the top who make all these decisions, but uh, for, while it's not a perfect, uh, while it's not perfect unions are still democ- uh, democracies and they elect their union leadership. Um, and they have the ability to elect their union leadership and the folks in, in leadership. And so I think it's important for people to recognize that, 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 that those structures still exist, that they are still able to, um, Uh, make wins in terms of contracts or even in the form of leveraging their collective power like West Virginia, like you said. And so there are things that need to change. Yes. There are things that they've done historically that people will sometimes take for granted. Yes. Um, But I also feel like this is also an opportunity for them to really radically shift how they leverage resources, allocate those resources and the types of partnerships that they have um, more broadly.
0: So then is your time at work mostly spent trying to bolster existing professions that have unions, so like a teacher's union, for example, or do you spend the bulk of your time trying to to rally and organize folks who are in professions that have not traditionally unionized? Yeah, that's,
1: that's, a, that's a great question. So I served as um, ED for the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance, which is an uh, affiliate or a constituency group of the AFL-CIO um, for more than seven years, almost eight years, um, and Um, I I think it was we always saw the work as twofold, both, as you mentioned, working with and engaging people who are currently union members, but also trying to recruit and engage uh, folks to join the labor movement and, and to join unions. And I think what we're what we're finding is that there's just lots of different ways in which workers and people are coming together to leverage the worker power, I think we're seeing more and more ways in which people are doing that that are beyond or outside of a traditional collective bargaining agreement. And so I think that there's a lot of room for um, creativity, a lot of room to engage folks that maybe haven't historically been engaged, and also um, really opportunity to rethink what power looks like and how we build it and leverage it to, to to make wins.
0: Yeah, sounds good. When we come back, I want to ask more questions about where – uh, Gregory sees unionizing going. I have some more DC questions as well. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to The Zag. We'll be right back. So, Gregory, do you see unionizing possibilities in the gig economy? We've had some of those conversations here in NLCLA about yeah, what's the possibility with Uber or Lyft ever becoming unionized? Uh, those those kind of conversations, those kind of questions. Uh, what's your stance on what might happen with them? Down yeah, the road? so
1: I this is actually a really important conversation. Um, you know, I know that there have been efforts already to try to unionize both Uber and Lyft drivers, and, and in some cases, successfully, like in Washington State, for example. Um, I, I know that they were able to um, organize some folks in the, within the gig economy there. I think the reality is is that the the when when Kind of the workforce changes and shifts that, that that means that we have to to understand and rethink our organizing. You know, just in the same way it went from a hugely manufacturing hugely manufacturing and now more kind of service industries. I think that's it's it's now service slash service slash gig industry in that a lot of a lot more things are popping up via the technology and a lot more things are popping up via the 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 ways in which consumers interact. Um, with technology and, the, and, and, and 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 different ways in which we're connected, and so I think that there's definitely opportunities. I don't I don't know if you, um, all the unions think see them as opportunities versus maybe seeing them as threats um, in terms of what that might mean for the the set of workers that they organize. Um, but I do think that they I, I do think that we have to be creative and strategic with how we approach it, especially because I only see things within the gig economy only getting bigger. And so how do we respond to that while still understanding the kind of broader framework of both the workforce and how we organize in in that workforce?
0: And how often does the word robot come up? (laughs)
1: So, you know, the the word itself, I don't think people say it as much as they probably think it, but it definitely is something that people are more mindful of. You know, I was actually just in a grocery store the other day and I was talking with um, my partner about you know, it's it, it, we have a choice. We can either go into the kind of set the self checkout line, or we can go to a line where we actually mm-hmm. um have some a worker that's you know scanning or you know, you know checking us, helping us check out. And I and I tell people I, I normally go to the person that's actually there because the more we we you utilize the self service, the less that the workers are then needed, or at least it. it you know, that's how management or different corporations try to frame it. And so I think it's something to be mindful of. I don't think that uh, there's uh, been a particular sweet spot yet. I think that people are still, you know, trying out and experimenting, but I definitely see the energy and people understanding that they need to do more.
0: The last couple of things I want to ask you. So, since you are in DC and have been there a while, like what actually happens? What does the city feel like when there's a presidential transition, especially when it? involves changing parties and especially when it involves changing to somebody who's as, as crazy as a person in the White House. Now, what is it? The, the actual feel in the city like? Um, this, like that that's happens?
1: a great question. I, I, I get this question quite often because as um, as you know, I, I transitioned here right at the end of um, the Bush term and as Obama was transitioning in. And let me tell you that the energy that I felt in 2009 is very different than the energy that I felt in 2016, 2017. Um, You know, I think that there was generally a lot more young people, particularly a lot more young people of color, excited to move to D.C., get involved in the policy and advocacy world, you know, and and, and people truly trying to connect the organizing and advocacy they were doing in local communities, on campuses, um, to what was happening in D.C. Um, I, I, I saw a lot more of my friends... You know, quit their jobs and and start new things, and so they, there was just a lot of a, a lot of different energy. And then, um, you know, this more in the last couple of years or since the twenty sixteen election, the energy. There's two different kinds of energies. One, for the folks who are here, there's been like a, you know, we're ready to fight. We have to, we're constantly, you know, being attacked. We're constantly wanting to stand in solidarity with folks. So there's always an action or a rally or a petition to sign or something going on. So I think there's a set of folks who are feeling like there's always something coming at them. And I think the other set is people who are like, you know what, this is not for me. And I've seen a lot of people say, I want to go invest and go back home. Whether that may be, whether that's you know home to the you know somewhere in the U.S. or even somewhere globally, or nationally, um, because they want to either you know rebuild or help build stronger infrastructure back in their home state, or feel like that that's where they can make a, sh- a stronger impact, um, or they just don't want to be where you know <laughs> DC is being DC right now with the people that are occupying the White the White House and and even Congress. Because uh, I feel like they can put their time and their energy and their their skill sets in other places.
0: And then last thing, what's one action or one way that progresses, whether NLC folks or, or or not, can support union causes moving forward so that we could start to see some change in workplaces, but also start to see some change politically like we did. Yeah, in so Pennsylvania I would say a couple
1: week. of things. I think one, I think it's important for people to continue to follow the Janice. Um, Supreme Court case, um, you know, as as the decision is, as, as, as there's going to be a pending decision anytime, that's going to have a huge impact. So c- encouraging folks to continue to follow that. Two, I would say join um, join a union or even a constituency group. Um, uh, the, I, I, right now, even though I'm now transitioned into full-time consulting, I'm a member of the National Riders Union, which is a local affiliate of the United Auto Workers. Um, there's... Um, uh, constituency groups like the one, I, uh, the Asian Pacific American Labor Alliance, there's also the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, the A. Philip Randolph Institute, the Coalition of Labor Union Women, the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement, um, uh, the, uh, and then uh, uh, Pride at Work. And so I, I would say even if you're not a union member, that's one way to support the most marginalized and underrepresented communities um, and uh, is to join those constituency groups.
0: Nice. Good advice. Well, listen, thanks for being on and thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can find all our past episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play store, pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. We'll be back next week with even more episodes. Thanks for listening.